Oh yeah, why don't we ask Chris one of the questions? Have you kept a New Year's resolution where you weren't accountable to anyone? A resolution like drinking more water or keeping a journal? A, yes, I'm good at keeping New Year's resolutions, even the ones that no one knows but me. B, I'm good at keeping resolutions, but I make them whenever the time seems right. I don't wait for the new year. January 1st is an arbitrary date. C, I've had trouble with that kind of resolution, so I'm not inclined to make one. When I'm only helping myself, I often struggle. D, no, I hate to bind myself in any way. A or B. What was A or B again? Upholder or questioner. I told you, yeah, because he's got inner. Yeah. So I think you're. I think you're either an upholder or a questioner. Means nothing to me. <laughs> so well, Will, once you read our show. The tools we use to work have changed drastically, but how we work hasn't. In this podcast, we explore how we can make work work better for us. We're your hosts, me, Anna Codrerado. And me, Tiffany Philippou. In season two, we'll be exploring new issues related to our working lives, including resilience, boundaries, goals, and motivation. We will be telling more stories from the front lines of modern work, and we have some exciting guests joining us along the way. This isn't about the future of work. This is about what's happening in work right now. This week's episode of Is This Working is brought to you by Moo. Whether you're a big business or a freelance creative, Moo is the place to go to easily design and print quality business cards. And the kind folks at Moo have given us a special offer just for our listeners. To get 20% off your business cards, go to the moo.com website and use the code ISTHISWORKING when you place an order. of our friendship is spent discussing personality types and doing quizzes do you think i reckon probably about 75 to 80 percent of it i think it's probably the whole foundation of our friendship in very many ways and i have a very vivid memory of the the quiz which today's episode is um kind of based on i have a very clear memory of doing that quiz on a road trip that we were on with some other friends and one of our friends was in the back seat reading out the questions and we were all participating in it and it's probably my clearest memory and best memory of that whole trip (laughs) absolutely and the four tendencies framework with Gretchen Rubin that we're going to be discussing today is certainly the framework that I found most helpful when thinking about work and how I work and what it means with regards to building my life 
Gretchen Rubin is the author of books, many books, but including The Happiness Project, Happier at Home. And she also has a podcast called Happier with Gretchen Rubin. And essentially what Gretchen says is the key to happiness is to understand your tendency and to build a life that best suits that. So we went to speak to Gretchen to learn more about what the different tendencies are and how we can use that information to form better working lives. Enjoy. So what I think would be a really great place for us to start is Gretchen if you could explain to us what the four tendencies are so for anybody who isn't familiar with your work and who may have not done the quiz which both of us obviously have done we are both questioners um, Ah. it would be really great if you could explain to us what the four tendencies are absolutely so the four tendencies is a personality profile that divides people into upholders questioners, obligers, and rebels. And the tendencies look at a very narrow aspect of your nature. It's not trying to give a whole picture. It's just looking at something that's very targeted, but also very significant, which is how do you respond to expectations? And all of us face two kinds of expectations. Outer expectations, which is like a work deadline or a request from a friend. And then we have inner expectations, our own desire to keep a New Year's resolution, our own desire to get back into playing guitar. And depending on the combination of whether you meet or resist an expectation, that's what makes you an upholder, a questioner, an obliger, or a rebel. So upholders readily meet outer and inner expectations. They meet the work deadline, they uh, you know, keep the New Year's resolution without much fuss. They want to know what other people expect from them, but their expectations for themselves are just as important. Uh, so their motto is, discipline is my freedom. Hmm. Then there are questioners, which are the two of you. Questioners <laughs> question all expectations. They'll do something if they think it makes sense. They resist anything arbitrary, ineffective, unjustified. They always want to know why. So if something meets their inner standard, if they get the point, they see why this makes sense, they'll do it, no problem. But if it fails their inner standard, they will push back. So their motto is, I'll comply if you convince me why. Then there are obligers. Obligers readily meet outer expectations, but they struggle to meet inner expectations. And I got my first insight into this tendency when a friend said to me, the funny thing is I know I'm happier when I exercise. And when I was in high school, I was on the track team and I never missed track practice. So why can't I go running now? Well, when she had a team and a coach expecting her to show up, no problem. But when she was trying to go on her own, it was a challenge. And the thing about obligers, that's like the key thing for obligers to know, is that if they want to meet an inner expectation, they must create a system of outer accountability. That is what works. Not self-care, not motivation, not priorities, not clarity. Outer accountability. You want to read more? Join a book group. You want to exercise more? Work out with a trainer. Take a class where they take attendance. Work out with a friend who's going to be annoyed if you don't show up. Take your dog for a run, and your dog's going to be so disappointed if he doesn't get to go for his run. Um, And so their motto is, you can count on me, and I'm counting on you to count on me. And then finally, rebels. Rebels resist all expectations, outer and inner alike. They want to do what they want to do in their own way, in their own time. They can do anything they want to do, anything they choose to do. 
But if you ask or tell them to do something, they're very likely to resist. And typically, they don't tell themselves what to do. Like, they don't say, I'm going to go to a 10 a.m. woodworking class every Saturday because they're like, I don't know what I'm going to want to do on Saturday morning. And just the fact that somebody's expecting me to show up is going to annoy me. So their motto is, you can't make me and neither can I. Um, so most people can tell what they are just from that brief description. Um, these are pretty blatant, but as you say, there is a quiz at quiz.gretchenrubin.com. So for people who want to like get an answer, they can take the quiz. Yeah. We're going to link that, um, in the show notes, because I think that it's, it's something that is so when I, when I definitely learned what I was, it's, I suddenly started seeing it in everything and things started ah. to, yeah. And things started to really make sense for me in other other aspects of my life. And I think what we're really kind of keen to hear from you about is very often, um, whenever I've heard the four tendencies spoken about in conversation, usually the example, as you just gave, is, off, is off, often about exercise. Mm -hmm. But um, how do we see these traits play out in the workplace or, or maybe also specifically in office environments? What kind of different um, aspects of either a questioner or an obliger or whoever it might be what how kind of how does it sort of play out in a workplace context well it's a huge factor in the workplace and i think actually thinking about the four tendencies can really minimize burnout and conflict and uh uh resentment and um procrastination and it can also and help people sort of understand each other and it can also kind of diffuse certain kinds of um miscommunication so so in the workplace so let's say you guys are questioners now in the workplace this is what questioners often run into they can drain and overwhelm others with their questioning so everybody else <laughs> in the meeting is like oh my gosh we've been talking about this for 45 minutes who cares and they get very annoyed with the questioners they feel like you're being obstructionist your roadblock uh, or perhaps your questions are making someone feel um, attacked. It's like, I'm your boss. Why don't you accept my judgment? Why are you questioning my authority? Um, you don't seem like a team player to me. Now to a questioner, those questions seem very valuable because they're like, why is everybody just going along like a lemming? We haven't even stepped back to say, sure, this is what corporate wants, but does this make any sense? Is this the most efficient decision we could make? Is there a better way? So they feel like, well, I'm really adding value. I don't understand why others are not interested in these questions, but then others do, can become overwhelmed. And so once you understand that, like if I'm the boss and you're asking me a lot of questions, I could just say to myself, look, this, she's a questioner. She's like this with me. She's like this with everybody in her life. I have to manage it. Maybe I don't have time for this or I need to figure out what to do, but I don't need to take it personally because this is just a questioner. And also this questioner is adding a lot of value to our workplace. This is something that maybe in this context is a little bit annoying, but in another context is really important. And so we need to value what they're bringing to this team, even if in an independent individual situation it might be tough. And for instance, once you understand that, you can create situations that work for everyone. So for instance, let's say you're a manager and you have a questioner and you're giving a presentation about why you all are gonna switch to a new kind of software. After a certain point, you can get the sense that a lot of people are getting a little restless, but some people really still have questions. You could say to the group, you know, if you feel like you've heard enough and you understand why we're switching to a new software, please feel free to return to your desk. If you have further questions, I'm very happy to stay here and answer any questions that you have because those questioners won't get on board until their questions are answered. And they will often say things like, oh, well, everybody was supposed to do this, but it didn't make sense to me, so I didn't. 
Well, that's not good for a workplace that some people are just silently not going along. You know, you want to you want to get them on board. You want to bring them on board, but they might need more to get there than kind of the other people in the office. So you treat them differently. You give them you you offer them what they need to get on board, but you don't exhaust others with stuff that they don't need. And what can I do as a questioner to be a better colleague at the same time? Well, I think you can understand that it's important to ask questions in a way that seems constructive and doesn't make other people feel defensive. So for instance, you could say, um, instead of being like, why did you pick the software? You could say something like, I'm so interested in the fact that you went with this software. I'd really like to know your thought process because if, I think if I understand like why this is the choice, it'll understand me like what's important about it and like what aspects of it I should really lean into. Because then it's like, oh, okay, you're not telling me I'm because a lot of time a questioner is asking a question just simply wanting to know why. Why did you do that? And, and other people think, though, that what you're, you're really implying, you made the wrong choice, why are you making it? They, they read kind of an attack into it, which the questioner doesn't necessarily intend. And so questioners do need to learn how to ask questions constructively and also to limit their questions if they sense that others are becoming overwhelmed. Like maybe you want to put it in a memo. Maybe you want to make a separate um, appointment. Um, you, to, to stay sensitive to the fact um, that others are becoming drained. Another thing that, and I don't know if you two experience this as questioners, they can suffer from analysis paralysis, which is when they want perfect information. But a lot of times in the workplace, we, we, can't, we cannot get perfect information or we can't wait for perfect information. And so a lot of times if you're dealing with a questioner who just wants to do more and more research, there's things that you can do. You can say, okay, deadlines, it's not efficient, to go past Friday. I need your best answer by Friday. And that efficiency very much appeals to questioners. Or you could say um, limits. You can interview five people for this position, but not 15 people for this position. Or you can use trusted authorities. Look, we know this other team, and we know that they picked this software. And we know they do really good work and do really good research. If they're having good results from this software, we can assume that we'll have good results too. So we can trust their authority. We don't have to like reinvent the wheel and you know reinvestigate everything from the ground up. Um, and that's questioners. And then, of course, um, questioners is the second largest group, and then the largest group is obliger for both men and women. So it's very important to understand obligers because you either are an obliger or you have many obligers around you. And just hearing you talk about questioners makes it a bit clearer to me why I got fired from a job. <laughs> Ooh, oh, tell us more. Well, because... Anna and I both don't suffer from decision paralysis as much. We, we were talking about this earlier, but we definitely need rational explanation no matter yes. who you are. So I've always really struggled with authority. And if I've had a boss that I don't respect, essentially, I don't care that they're higher up yes. than me. And obviously Anna and I are now self-employed and working together um, but do you think the corporate nine to five workplace is built for a certain type of tendency? Uh, well, you know, there's so many things that go into a particular workplace. There's the task, there's the office culture, there's the, the, you know, the team that you're working with. So I think it's hard to make generalizations, but it's definitely true that for, say, if you were a questioner, you would want to make sure that a workplace was one that really did value rationale and explanation and justification and really rewarded that. Um, because if you're in a place where it's like, hey, we've got a visionary leader and we are all team players. We're all on board to execute this vision. 
and we don't really want to hear any questioning from you. Okay, that's not going to be a good environment for the questioner. They're not going to be happy with you, and you're not going to be happy with them. Questioners also tend to have a tough time working like for a rebel boss because rebels will also often like come in and they're like, oh my gosh, I have a whole new set of priorities. It's all clear to me now. Clear your calendar. We're going to sit down and I'm going to explain like the new road for us. And the, and the questioner's like, why? What are your reasons? We had other reasons for why we were doing this. That made sense to me. I've been working here. Now you have this whole new thing. You haven't explained why you've changed your mind. You don't explain the reason that you have this new vision. Do you just feel in it? That's not good enough for me. I have to understand why if you want me to get on board. And so that can be very frustrating for questioners when you're supposed to just kind of follow along and not understand why. Um, so you want to be in a workplace where they understand that you would want that and they value the efficiency, the cost savings um, that you're bringing um, and the focus on task. Um, because questioners are often like, why are other people just these lemmings that follow along? They don't, they think uh, they're critical of other people. They don't understand why people would be critical of them because they're like, this makes sense. What you're doing is the thing that doesn't make sense. Um, and it's interesting, a lot of, I know some questioners who work for themselves and a lot of times they say it's, I don't trust anybody else's judgment. In the end, I don't think they've thought it through enough. I don't trust their research. Or if they have a partner um, who they really trust, it's such a relief to them because they're like, now I don't have to research everything myself or figure everything out myself because I have a partner, whether it's in romance or at work, I can trust that that partner is as thorough and as thoughtful as I would be. And that's a huge relief. But if you don't have that boss that you trust, it can be very difficult to do what they say without, without a lot of like gritting of teeth. I mean, that really resonates, I think, for me. And I can see Tiffany here nodding, nodding along because uh, I, I speak for myself here, but ever since I became self-employed, I, I have had that attitude of, well, I now know that I, I am the boss and I know that I believe in myself. So um, yes. yeah, and same, you know, with, we were talking about this, how, um, we have trust between the two of us. So if one of us needs to do a piece of research or whatever, the other one isn't checking over their homework. Um, yes. I know, but I don't think that, and you do sort of touch on this in the book that, you know, it's not, it's not the case that just because you have this one tendency, you have to, you can only do this particular type of work. Yes. Um, but to what extent are there certain types of work that do suit different tendencies? I mean, I, I, what I'm trying to say here is that just because if you, if someone goes now and does the quiz, finds out they're a questioner, I'm definitely not saying go and quit your job and be self-employed. Um, but to what extent are there certain types of work or at least maybe certain types of roles within a company yes. that suit tendencies and what should people be looking for? Yes, again, I would never say never, and of course I'm speaking in generalizations, but if I were to make generalizations, these are the generalizations I would make. Anytime you have kind of a client service, it's, that's a, that tends to be a good fit for an obliger. And whether that's um, I'm in private client service, private wealth management for a bank, and so I have these high net worth individuals who are my clients who want 24-hour availability. Maybe I'm a doctor who has to be on call for my patients, and that's great because I feel like I want to be there for you. Um, that's my high value and that that's how I live. And, and so I, for an obliger, I need to learn how to take care of myself and not burn myself out in that. But in many fields, like that's very, very rewarded. And I've had people ask me, how can I screen so that I will only hire obligers? And I never answered that question because I think it's kind of asked with an exploitative 
uh, intent. Um, but certainly anytime there's sort of that, like we need to, we're here for you 24 seven. That is something that, um, that tends to suit well for obligers. Rebels often do well in sales because in sales, there's often kind of an attitude of like, look, you do what you got to do to close that sale. You know, so rebels are like, okay, because like I'm an upholder. So I'm very much like, what are the rules? What are like, what, what does the contract say? I can't really deviate from that without being very, very uncomfortable. But a rebel is like, you know, they're, that, they're, they're good with that. They also do very, they tend not to like to do like drudge work or have every day be the same. And you might say, well, nobody likes that. Well, rebels really don't like that. So they might do well if they had a job where like, let's say, like I was talking to a rebel who was like a manager for a chain of restaurants. So every day he was going to a different restaurant. It was different people. It was a different route. He was in a different place, different challenges. He was on the road. Nobody was looking over his shoulder. It's like, okay, I'm going to stop here and like go into this bookstore for a minute. Like no one knows. There was a lot of freedom, a lot of choice, a lot of feeling of like, I'm doing my own work in my own way. That tends to work really well for rebels. They kind of are like, I don't want you looking over my shoulder. I don't want accountability. Like they often are great at meeting a challenge. They're often very ambitious for themselves, but they like to do it in their own way. So they need to be in a place where they can do their own work in their own way. Now, obligers, by contrast, really thrive on accountability. So they tend to do well on a job where it is like we have a team, we have deliverables, we have deadlines, I have a boss. Um, all that kind of infrastructure really helps them. And I've had people say to me, well, I always say I want to work for a tough boss because that's where I thrive. I don't want people to be like, oh, you know, get to this whenever you can. Because I'm like, what does that mean? I like to have accountability. And so that tends to, uh, obligers tend to do well in that kind of thing. Upholders are very self-starting. So they do well in anything where, uh, like, it's kind of like, here's your task, get it done. I don't want to look over your shoulder. You just need to execute. However, upholders can be rigid. They tend to love, like, they love using a calendar. They love using to-do lists. They like it very clear, like, what success looks like. They're very good at hitting a mark, a very high mark. But if it's not clear what that mark, if it's ambiguous, what success looks like or what's supposed to be done. If it's a workplace where there's a big need for flexibility, um, where it's like, okay, we're going to do sudden pivots or like things could change very fast or you need to drop everything and turn to something else. That often is very difficult for upholders because they like to kind of have a plan and stick to that plan. In some workplaces, that ability to stick to a plan is very, very valued. In some places, it's not. And so you want to think about, is this a workplace where I can really, there's a lot of predictability and a lot of me being able to, to like stick to my plan for me to get, because folders often have a lot that they want to get done and they have a very clear sense of when they want to get certain things done. So they want to be in a place where that, that suits that. All these past people I've worked with are suddenly coming to mind. Oh yeah. About, I used to work in startups, how a, uh, someone I managed was an upholder and would react very badly to change and and then and similarly i once had a rebel boss who would yes. come in every day and take that also too far with the changing things so it's really interesting bringing to life how impactful these tendencies really are and how we work and relate to each other well and i should say of the four tendencies the obliger is the type o they match most easily up with the other three um and if you have a rebel um, who's paired up either in work or in romance or like has people around them, uh, almost always those people are going to be obligers. And that is the most, by far the most stable pairing. 
rebels work much better with obligers than they do with upholders and questioners. So if you see a rebel you're pro who's successful, you're probably seeing a lot of obligers around that rebel. Um, upholders and questioners have more trouble with rebels, yes. as you as you're saying. Yeah. Um, and so how should someone who's recently discovered their tendency use that to better understand how they work or build a working life that suits them? Well, you know, I think, I think the key thing is to think it's not that I'm right and you're wrong or, or you're right and I'm wrong or I have no willpower, I have no self-control or I need to be different. It's more like, look, people need different things to succeed. So how do we create an environment where everyone thrives? Let's, how do we build something where everybody feels like they can do their best work instead of like feeling like, well, something's wrong with me or there's, there's something that needs to be fixed or some fundamental thing. And here's an example. So um, I'm an upholder. And so upholders like to, they, they're very self-startery. And like, I'm one of these people where I work all the time. I work on Christmas day. I work on the weekends and I just send emails to anybody I'm working with whenever it occurs to me. And I don't have people who work for me, but I have people that I collaborate with. And my view without ever articulating it is I do my work in my way. You do your work in your way. I'm not telling, I'm not your babysitter. I'm not telling you how to do your work. Get back to my email whenever it suits your workflow. Okay. But it turned out I was working with an obliger and I found out indirectly that she was very resentful of the fact that I was sending emails on the weekends and at night and on holidays because she felt like that was not respecting the work-life separation. And, um, you know, who's right? Who's wrong? Right? They're both points of view. Uh, we could have gone into HR and had a big fight. They could have issued a company-wide policy about like when you're allowed to send email. We didn't have to do that because once I, it never had literally, it had literally never occurred to me that this was an issue because I'm like, do your work in your own way. I'm not expecting you to answer it on the weekend. That's just when it occurs to me, but she felt that pressure. So somebody taught me how to use delay delivery in Outlook. And so every Monday morning at like 8 a.m., she gets like seven emails from me. <laughs> so I work in my way and she works in her way. Neither of us had to change. Neither of us was wrong. We just had different ways of working. And so then the question became, how do we deal with that? And there's a perfectly fine way to deal with that. So nobody has to compromise. And it's like, okay, but we had to recognize that we were having this difference of opinion. And I think the tendencies really takes the negative energy out of that. Cause it's not like you're taking advantage of me or you're blah, 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 blah. It's just like, ah, oh, I get it. Upholders are like that. Obligers are like that. Like this happens all the time, you know, let's figure it out. Yeah, it uh, sounds like what you're talking about is self-awareness mixed with communication and compassion. A hundred percent to other people. Well, isn't that the answer for everything? I feel like you <laughs> just gave. I feel like you just gave like the prescription for happiness in all areas of life. <laughs> and yet, <laughs> um, yet workplaces are where I think people do rub against each other the most with regards to tendencies. Well, let me take a second and talk about obliger rebellion because this is something that's very perplexing to many people. Uh, including obligers themselves, that comes up a lot in the office. And I think the workplace is a place that's critically important to understand this phenomenon. So as I said, the largest, uh, the biggest number of people are obligers there for both men and women. So it's a big tendency. So you really have to think about obligers. And obligers feel the weight of outer expectations, but they don't feel the, they don't feel the weight to meet their inner expectations. And this makes them frustrated because they keep meeting outer expectations, but they're not meeting their expectations for themselves. And what can happen and what is not uncommon at all is something called obliger rebellion. 
This is when an obliger meets, 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 meets an expectation, and then suddenly, without warning, they snap. And they say, this I will not do. It's over. This is finished. You know, you're dead to me. And sometimes it can be very, very dramatic. Like, I'm going to quit my job and go work for a competitor, or I'm going to get a divorce, or I'm going to end a 30-year friendship because your need, this has just become insupportable. Now, sometimes it can be small and funny. Like, I've heard of Obliger Rebellion being things like, I'm not going to answer your emails for two weeks, or I'm going to sit in my car and be deliberately late for work. You know, little things like that. But sometimes it can be very dramatic. And the thing that happens in the workplace is that, there can be reputational consequences because to the other tendencies, the obliger's action doesn't make sense. So as me as an upholder, you guys as questioners, we would say, if you didn't want to be on a committee, why did you say you'd be on a committee? I don't understand why you're mad. I asked you if you wanted to volunteer and you said yes. So why are you so upset? Okay. Because an obliger felt that weight to meet an outer expectation. They didn't have the inner expectation to say, that doesn't work for me. And obliger rebellion happens when obligers feel unheard, neglected, exploited, taken advantage of. And it, it really is meant to protect the obliger by blowing up a situation. So I've had this boss that's been pushing, 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 pushing. You know what? This is it. I'm, I'm out of here. And often they'll do it without warning. Like many obligers will like quit that day. It's not like, it's like something explodes. And that's the metaphor they always use. They just explode. And, it's, and then it's over. And so what we need to do is watch out for burning anger, building anger and resentment. People getting closer and closer to that point where they will explode. Because once a blizzard rebellion starts, you can't really stop it, but you can thwart it. You can head it off by making things fair. And this is what we should do in the workplace. Make it fair. It's not fair for one person to be on two committees and one person to be on 10 committees. It's not fair for one person to take all the night shifts. It's not fair for one person to do all the unpleasant travel. Things should be fair and people shouldn't be taken advantage of. Obligers are convinced that they are being exploited and they are 100% correct. They are being exploited. Upholders, questioners, rebels, we all go straight for the obliger when we need someone to go the extra mile because we know they're the ones that are the most likely to say yes. That is why they are great team members, great leaders. They're great to have around, but we have to make sure that they're not taken advantage of because obliger rebellion is can come out of nowhere and it can be very hard to deal with. Your very best worker, your very most your most valuable team member could just walk out the door tomorrow if they get to that place of deep, deep resentment and burnout. And what do I do if I'm an obliger and I'm building that resentment or I don't have a manager who, as you say, knows how to treat obligers? That's very important. And I think for many obligers, just knowing about the phenomenon of obliger rebellion is very helpful because they often are like, I'm acting out of character. I don't understand what I did. So understanding that this is like a very widespread thing um, and that this is just something that happens, I think is often comforting to them and also helps them understand the pattern that maybe wasn't clear to them. Often obligers will be like, oh yeah, I can look back on my past and pick out three times where this happened to me. So I think when they're aware of it as a pattern, they can become more um, conscious of it and therefore themselves intervene. Also, sometimes ob obligers, you can talk to other obligers and say, okay, maybe you find it hard to push back on an expectation, but I don't find it hard to do for you. 
I'm going to march into the manager and say, I don't understand why Tiffany's on seven committees. What's up with that? Are you aware of this situation? I'm not going to say that for myself, but I'll say it for you. And if we all talk about it amongst ourselves, we can make sure that we're standing up for each other. Another thing is to put yourself in a situation where you have to, you can't meet every expectation. Someone must be disappointed. And then it's up to you to choose according to your values. So let's say you have a team that often wants you to work late and you find it very hard to say no when you know the other team members are staying late. But let's say you have a conversation with your family and you say, look, we're really going to talk about this as a family. Family dinner is important to us. We're all really going to make it a priority to be here every night to eat dinner at 630. This is really, really important to us. So now if the team asks you to stay late, it's not like I'm going to say yes to the team. It's like I have to say no to someone. I have to say no to the team or I have to say no to my family. Well, I can choose to say no to the team because that's how I say yes to my family. That's how I meet that expectation because by articulating it, I've brought it into as equal weight. Um, one thing about obligers is they, they often, sweethearts often don't make good accountability partners. Um, for a very romantic reason. You're so close to me, um, I'm going to ignore you just like I would ignore me. So it might be very typical that an obliger is able to manage, um, uh, uh, like, like it's, it's easy to ignore what a spouse wants. They feel that outer expectation very much from like the boss. So it's like, oh, you know, we were supposed to go out for a romantic dinner. I don't understand why you couldn't say no to your boss. Well, that's very hard for an obliger to do because the boss is outer and you as my sweetheart are inner. And so again, sometimes just recognizing this pattern helps you. You might be annoyed by the pattern, but it doesn't feel so personal because you're like, oh, this is kind of an obliger thing. This is something that obligers experience. Um, also with obligers, you need to encourage them to take time for themselves. So it's like, um, let's say an obliger hasn't taken a vacation in two years. Well, the manager should be the one to say, hey, I want you to come in by Friday and tell me what vacation it is. But maybe I'm your sister. I say, this is ridiculous. I want you to email me by Friday and tell me where you're going to take a vacation. Like, you're accountable to me now. Um, or you could, you know, maybe team up with a friend um, for things that you kind of consciously know you need to do or that you consciously can acknowledge are beyond what's reasonable and yet you're finding it hard to say no. Another thing is never say no right, yes right away. Don't say yes on the phone. Like say, oh, I'd love to help out, but I need to check my calendar or I need to check with corporate or whatever. Give yourself time to stall and then go to somebody else like a questioner and say, should I do that? And the questioner would be like, why would you do that? You're already on seven committees. Like why would you do another one? And then you can think, yeah, why would I? That's right. You know, you can get somebody else to help you like, articulate why you shouldn't do it you know get get others involved give yourself time to stall so that you can uh, you can you can muster up um the no that you need to give do we know why obligers are the largest um category well you know i'm a big believer in the genetic roots of personality and so and i think these are inborn so i'm sure it's probably evolution you can see why evolution would think having lots of obligers would be good, but too many obligers might not be good. Um, it, evolution might say a few rebels is good. Not so many rebels would be good. So rebel is the smallest category, but that's just my speculation because mm -hmm. uh, I tend to think that's, that's the reason for a lot of things. Yes. Yeah, I recall you saying that um, we're born with our tendency. It's not really something that's from nature. Is that correct? Uh, yes. I, I, because I do believe that um, a lot of our nature is hardwired. 
Um, and a lot of times people have an explanation for whether they're tendency, but it would work. It's like, well, I'm a first child, so of course I'm an upholder. I'm like, but I have people who say I'm an I'm a first child, so of course I'm a questioner. Or you That's know, me. I, yeah, I mean, <laughs> well, only you're sort actually, of so. everything can work. Everything is an explanation. Um, so now, of course, time and experience and culture and all these things will influence how how it comes out. So if you were a questioner in North Korea, you would shut that down. If you're a questioner in Silicon Valley, it could be your greatest asset. And so, of course, the, the circumstances are going to um, shape it. And then people, and then other aspects of people's personality, like rebels. Sometimes people are like, are all rebels narcissists? Of course not, because rebel is just how you respond to expectations. Some rebels are highly idealistic, put a very high value on being um, considerate of other people. Um, they might be want to be they might be highly ambitious and so that's going to come out it'll be flavored by their rebel tendency but um, but that's just one aspect of many but it's not like you know every creative person is a rebel I'm like no that's not true because it just it might come out a different way we might see it a different way um, but but it's but the core is like if you ask questioners, hey, will you do this for me? They're all say the same thing, which is why should I? But lots of other things about them could be very different. Moo make it easy to design and print amazing quality business cards that are totally unique to you or your business. Whether you're a design pro or complete beginner, they've got the right level of support to match your needs. To get 20% off your business cards, go to the moo.com website and use the code ISTHISWORKING when you place an order. That's ISTHISWORKING, all one word with no question mark. More details and T's and C's in the show notes. How different do you think the workplace would be if all employees and all bosses knew what their tendencies were and maybe, I don't know, stuck a post-it note on the next to their desk <laughs> with, <laughs> with which tendency they were? Well, I think it could save a lot of time and annoyance because like a questioner, it's like, okay, like, why don't I just like give them all the data because they are going to want that. And with the obliger, it's like, I'm not going to give the obliger an open-ended assignment that I don't really seem to care about and then expect that it gets done because they really thrive on accountability. And I'm not going to tell the rebel how to do what it is. Like for me, whenever I work with a rebel, like at least like two or three times in every email, I'm like, if it works for you, whenever the time is right, if you feel like this would further like what you're doing on your end, or like if this seems fun to you, it's always like your choice, your freedom, your, what you want if this works out, like I just throw that in there left and right. And I think it really gets me a lot more buy-in with Rebels right away. And, um, you know, with upholders, it's like, be clear about what you want and like, don't get in the way of them doing their, you know, executing. Uh, don't make sudden changes at the last minute. They are not going to, they're not going to think fondly of that. Um, so I think, I think it would, could really help people or like oblige your rebellion because as upholders and questioners, you and the three of us, we might say, well, you know, say yes if you want, say no if it doesn't work for you. 
do your own work in your own way. We're not a babysitter, just whatever. But that doesn't work very well for obligers. They need somebody looking over their shoulder to make sure that things are fair and that people aren't being taken, taken advantage of. And so I think, I think a lot of that could be eliminated when people like us don't say to people like them, oh, just take care of this yourself because they're not good at that. So it needs to be something that we're thinking about on our end if we want to be fair in the workplace. And I think we all do want to have a fair workplace where, you know, work is, is distributed appropriately and people aren't taken advantage of. It's just, that's not right. And in the end, it doesn't work well either. So it's, it's the right thing to do and it's the more effective and efficient thing to do as well. And finally, do you, so if I'm building a team, do I want to build one which has a diverse group of tendencies or if it's more one tendency together, they might work, rub along a bit easier? Well, that is a great, great question. And, and, and in general, I think you want to have all of the tendencies have strengths and weaknesses. And so if you have an over-concentration, you're going to lose some of that. So if you have a team that doesn't have any rebels, you're going to lose that energy that can think outside the box, that can ignore the rules, that's willing to say, like, let's go in a completely different direction. And that's extremely valuable. Um, that said, if you had a team dominated by rebels, you could get very frustrated because it could be like they're not taking orders from each other well. They could become very irritated and sort of spin off in their own directions, and that can become difficult. So I think you want to think about a balance, and I think you do want to think about yourself as putting a team together because I think for all of us, in the end, we have the, the greatest insight into our own tendency. That's the way we think ourselves. And so when someone else is thinking like that or acting like that, that kind of rings true for us. You know, that feels right. And so you don't, you want to make sure that you're not just loading all the people around you to be like you, because then you're just going to double down on your strengths and then have all your weaknesses very amplified because there's no one bringing a different countervailing strength to it. That said, I do think if you have a rebel, you want to think about, so do I have some obligers in the mix? Because that's probably going to be good to have that combo. Um, if I have a lot, if I have rebels, you know, upholders and rebels often have particular trouble working together because they, they just work in such different ways that can kind of get in the way. So you would want to think about that. Um, uh, if you see that you have a certain kind of uh, weakness in a team, you could think about that in terms of um, uh, who, like if you're bringing in someone new, what might be a strength that they could bring um, like one thing you see with upholders is upholders often feel like others are kind of um, free riding on their ability to execute. Like I will often experience, like I feel like people are almost trying to like hang on to me and use my energy to move themselves forward. And this can become very draining for upholders, but it can also be a very positive thing for a team because there's somebody who's just like, here we go, it's on, and now we are down, and it's just like chug, chug, chug. We are running the marathon now, and then other people are like, okay, okay, okay. I can kind of, I can kind of join in that energy and that direction. Um, too much of that, though, can become draining and uh, kind of self-defeating, but that's, that can kind of energize and keep people directed. So it is like everything. We need so many, there's so many strengths and weaknesses, and we, we need so much from each other. Um, but I do think that uh, you, you do want to think about that when you're putting together a team. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Gretchen. I just want to emphasize how much self-clarity I've got from understanding 
the real reason I've been frustrated in a lot of working environments and also essentially why I've been fired actually twice. (laughs) Um, So yeah, I just want to say thank you so much. Oh, well, thank you. It's so fun to talk to you. Great. Yeah, no, it's been, um, it feels like we've had a really great, like almost like a therapy session, (laughs) (laughs) which is just so brilliant. And, and uh, yeah, I do, I really think that it, I had, I got so much clarity when I I understood my tendency. And as I said, I now see it um, in, in everything and, and in kind of really interesting and minute way is in it gets almost gets very, very specific, even if I well, think in a work context, like how I send an email or how I behave yes. in a client meeting or something. I think it really affects everything. Well, the thing that's funny about the four tendencies to me is how blatant they are. It's not subtle. <laughs> Once you know them, you see them. All. I'm like watching Game of Thrones. I can tell you the tendency of like most of the main characters of Game of Thrones. Like you say, and so if you're working with a client, you can be like, oh, bing, 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 I get what you are. And so now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change my message, not, not in a major ways, but I am going to change my message slightly so that you and I can communicate more effectively together. I'm so I'm glad, I'm glad to hear that you experienced that as well. Great. Well, thank you very much. And um, thanks again for taking the time to speak with us. Thank you. This episode was brought to you by Moo. For 20% off quality business cards, enter the code isthisworking at the moo.com website. Thank you once again to Moo. You are listening to Is This Working? With your hosts, Anna Codrerado and Tiffany Philippou. The show was produced by Chris Bannister. Please rate, subscribe, share this episode if you enjoyed it. It will help other people find it. And of course, we want to hear from you because this podcast is all about how we can improve all our working lives. Email us at isthisworkingshow at gmail.com and tweet us at isthis underscore working. Thanks for listening. Bye.